This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our own humanity. Rob Legato takes an interesting approach in creating special effects. He discards a traditional method and works differently than most. His latest project is Emancipation on Apple TV+, about an enslaved man who tries to escape during the Civil War. And he's worked on Titanic and several Star Trek series. Some secrets revealed in a moment. Here is Rob Legato. You know, the thing that strikes me, and congratulations, I mean, the film is a very powerful movie. Oh, and uh, we're really proud of it. As you should be. It's really uh, a story about a time that was uh, not one of the best in American history, no doubt. And there's a few of those. (laughs) Yes, they are, unfortunately. It it looked like to me that the colors were uh, muted, Maybe some color correction took place because I remember seeing some of the fires were were red or the color of flame. And then the background was still kind of muted. Uh, is that something that was discussed with the director beforehand to kind of give it, it? It just creates a mood that really puts the piece in a whole nother level for me. Well, it's sort of, I mean, it's one of those things where you're searching, anytime you do a new movie, you're searching for what the voice of the movie is, what the tone of it's going to be. And a lot of times it turns into, you know, the the color correction, you know, like uh, Bob and I collaborated on a lot of movies, Richardson. And uh, the first one was Aviator, where the color became, you know, a star of the movie because it was depicting a, a time and a place that has long since gone by, two-strip Technicolor and three-strip Technicolor. So that became the the tone and the uh, sort of a sidebar on that. The um, uh, the interesting thing is as we did that movie and we were now going to go into the third phase of color, which is the monopack from two-strip, three-strip to what is now like what would be normal color. Marty didn't like it because it, he missed the color. So he missed the storytelling the enhancement that the so, you know, we, we found Bob and I found because we also collaborate in a bunch of other movies. And then another one that was worthy of note was Hugo, where we were studying um, uh, autochrome. So the, there's a, a the, there's a kind of a muted tones that were created by I don't know if you know anything about autochrome, but it was uh, the potato starch dyed red green and blue. Yes, and, I remember that. Yes. So all that now created a different tonality to make Hugo feel part of the period. Now, in this one, you know, originally it was just discussed to be just black and white film. And um, Bob asked me about it and my point of view on it, which starts the, that's why collaboration is so interesting, starts the process that anytime I shoot or want to shoot black and white, I want to shoot in color because then I have three different uh, black and white pieces of film with three different uh, color filters on them because back in the day if you're shooting a western and you want the clouds to be really vibrant against a darker blue sky you wouldn't use a blue you would use a red filter or a green filter because it makes the sky darker so you now have that manipulation well if it's on a mono pack you get to contribute one color over another and then what we did and it was literally on the makeup day but we were talking about it for a while what, what is the look the look wasn't full color because it because if you're an enslaved person, your version of the world is perceived to be different yeah. than than uh, than than uh, uh, the plantation owners and the gone with the windish, you know, yeah. uh, sort of romanticized version of the world. So it, it needed to be uh, uh, this sort of beautiful landscape needed to be kind of ugly in the process. You know, it needed to be 
um, uh, not attractive, even though it's striking visually. So I so saw the, the make a long story short on the makeup day. I was, we had a live feed from uh, um, the camera as we're shooting the enslaved people in their costumes and various things like that. And I was playing with my uh, black and white theory of adding a little uh, blue and dropping the red down, made made uh, tones, uh, um, you know, anything red, darker, made, you know, all that stuff. So you get, you get kind of a nice black and white image. And Bob said, well, what if you mix a little color back in? And so there's one little node and resolve the little matte channel. And it's like, let me take some of that off. So he took about like 30 or 40% off and allows 30 or 40% of the color, the natural color to come through. And it made a very striking look. It was still color, technically. It was kind of black and whitish. And then we decided along the way that every day that we were shooting, we would pick and choose how much a contribution of color there was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in uh, specialized cases, like in the case of fire or the case of uh, blood or the red flag, you would go in later after you've done this process and go back to the beginning, pull a red mat, and then print in a little teeny bit more of red than would have normally been in that process. Um, uh, so the the it was a living, breathing, shot-by-shot alteration of what the visual was. And if it has a lot of green in it, it has a different kind of look to it than if it has a lot of dirt and and, and whatever. So um, it, it was, uh, it talked about and then kind of found fairly quickly, mostly because it probably, we talked about it a little bit and we collaborated on it, uh, but it wasn't a long labored, like, you know, keep on searching and searching and searching for, you know, just the right thing. It was like, here's the thought and, and you go, that's the movie. Okay, yeah. That's what the movie like and uh, we were very happy with it and 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 our, our version of the, of the world is uh bob does uh, uh bob only wants uh, a color corrected dailies like with windows and the whole bit so yeah. it's like a di and we put all this work and effort into it that uh, we did this on yugo is i took all of the color corrections and promoted them to the di so now instead of starting from zero and then re-establishing a look that maybe it wasn't even the look that you've been used to seeing it is the movie that we've been looking at in all the all the uh, uh, screenings and various you know uh, things that we would we would view and judge. So um, and you know the the colorist doesn't really like that too much. I mean, Company Three was not that fond of that idea, but then they grew to like it because yeah, there was a lot of work done. There was a lot. You were already in the ballpark, and now you're making now artistic. You know, we have one of the great colorists in the in the history of you know color time is uh, 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 Stefan Sonnefeld or Stefan Sonnefeld. You're getting his first name wrong, um, and just adding that little grace note to every shot. Now that it was in the ballpark, it's just like, well, now let me give it a little more, a little less. Let me get a little better mat. Uh, on it, and let me you know do a little more refinement. But it wasn't starting from zero. It was starting from a place that was essentially the DI of the movie on a daily basis. I mean, it's very powerful. It, it adds to the movie. It really does. It creates a mood as a as a viewer of discomfort, and it's it, it just it the whole thing bothered me because of what we saw Will's character going through, and uh, and it's just amazing. As far as adding anything to the to the sets or anything like that was anything done like that to enhance it to make it look more like those days uh than yeah. it is today 
No, it was more of a sensitivity. I was the second unit director and cameraman as well. So part yeah. of my my thing was was creating the a sense of place while they were shooting kind of the main stuff, the dialogue and all the various pieces. Uh, um, then I would shoot little bits and pieces to suggest what life was like. Just uh, you know, sometimes brief glimpses, sometimes whole whole you know portions of it. So, but you know, it was all everything for the most part was done in camera and even an effect that was done was done as if it could have been shot in camera. So to help the audience not pick something apart and say, well, that's different looking. So mm. even the effect shots were, were conceived and done in such a way that it could have been done for real um, uh, as opposed to, well, let me show off here. Let me, let me make it something a little larger than life. Even the alligator attack, which is difficult to do, to pull off. That was done, uh, you know, as much in camera, what we call in camera, um, cause now you use an led wall as part of the mix yes. um, as much, as much in camera as possible and kept it under the top, not over the top, not, not, you know, don't no all of a sudden switch into superhero mode. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that was a that was a difficult one because he he is doing something extraordinary, and we're and that's part of the script and he's obviously he survived, and um, it's not impossible it's it's uh, uh, improbable but it's not impossible, right. um, so we we had to dance that line and 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 keep everything that way but for the most part like I would shoot a lot of stuff with fire bars in the foreground shoot with a long lens create a stack that you felt the heat you felt the discomfort there because yeah. it doesn't translate as well like if you're there really uncomfortable really humid a lot of flies and bugs and stuff like that <laughs> but they don't show up on film so no. you now you know introduce that the way you feel and the way the character feels in that and still make it believable and not make it unbelievable not not go over the top with it so Mm -hmm. that, that that was pretty much it. So the the period portion is the look of the film, the art direction look, which is you know as soon as you you put period items in a in a in a shot and light it well, it's you're you're kind of in there already. Yeah, uh, the sensitivity of how you you set up a shot. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as you mentioned the the you know the uh, the digital wall, I, mm -hmm. I know that they're using it on TV series like The Mandalorian and Star Trek are using it. You said that was used for the water sequence. Was it used yes. anywhere else in the film? No, uh, we used it for one other shot because it was there and took advantage of it. There was a, a scene where um, uh, uh, Will's character climbs a tree to get the honey out of a tall yes, tree. I remember and, that. Yeah. Um, and I shot, uh, second unit wise, I shot the double and then I shot some plates. And then um, uh, while we had the wall up on the same day that we were shooting the, the what would have been the blue screen portion of that scene and then the led wall of, of will underwater it was right there so it's like well let's just take advantage of it and and, and use it and a couple shots we, we used with the led wall intact and then another they changed an angle to the point where we didn't have um uh, led wall and uh, bob wanted to shoot in a particular way it's like well i had to now switch to blue screen because uh we we didn't have the wall set up for that i i <laughs> we had it set up so the tree could go like this uh. <laughs> But it was like, oh, it's too much time. Can you just do it blue screen? It's like, you know, in the, in the heat of battle, sometimes you don't do it the way you sh you want to do it or should do it. You do it the way because production is demanding it. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, that that was uh, done that way. And I, I would sort of a different view of the LED wall and its use than most people. I, I think um, 
it works best when it is not um, creating science fiction-y backgrounds and things that are obviously not real. Because right. no matter how well you do it, and it looks cool. I mean, I, I, there's no question about it. I mean, if you like The Mandalorian and the other Star Wars shows and the people who use it, you know, it definitely, you know, uh, 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 finishes out the, the the landscape what you want. But you kind of know it's not real. And mm-hmm. and even though it's, a you know, basically a brilliant composite, so it's perfect, the hair, the smoke, everything. And the more you take advantage of that, the better it is. You know, you still kind of don't necessarily believe the entire image. And I like the idea of doing something um, where you have no reason to believe it's not legitimately photographed. So that notion gets out of your brain and you just watch the scene. Yeah. So you, so you use it um, for uh, uh, production value enhancement. The fact that you could shoot more shots in a day, you could be in more locations in a day. Um, you could take some time on a dialogue scene because you're not, you know, the light's not going. Um, there's not an, the, like in, when we were shooting this movie, the arduous nature of shooting it was, you know, in 20 minutes, it's going to rain. And if it rains, the lightning's going to come. And if the lightning comes, you have to wait a half hour for uh-huh. the last lightning strike before you go back to work. And that's a real mood breaker if you're an actor. And a director and a cameraman, you know, it's like, you know, so many times on the movie, I was that close to shooting what I thought was a really great shot. And the light was right. The rain came. The light no longer was that. And by the time we were able to go back to work, it was going to get dark in 15 minutes anyway. So you just call it and actually shoot that shot because we moved on and we moved on to a different set and a different location. So like I I missed a bunch of things that I really would have liked to have gotten um, simply because the, the weather conditions. And so the LED wall allows you to actually not be affected so totally by that you could spend some time on a on a delicate moment or a or a, a, a piece of acting or, or or storytelling that uh that you would like to lavish more time on that shooting it literally in camera for real kind of eliminates that because of the arduous nature of shooting amazing more of my conversation with rob legato about his work in a moment let's return to the world of special effects with rob legato I got to ask you about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It just seems to me one of the biggest challenges was that wormhole and creating that. I'll tell you a stupid story. Uh, uh, when I did the original Star Trek series, the, or not the original, the original uh, remake of The Next Generation, there was a line in the script that said, um, they go to the edge of the universe, a place that can't be um, uh, described because it can't be understood. And then it was like immediately followed by, I need budgets by noon. It's like, I mean, the writer just copped out of the whole thing by I'll just put this line in then I don't have to describe what it is. And so, you know, of course, I have a dollar ninety eight to do it. So I came up <laughs> with, um, um, uh, you know, crinkled uh, mylar lights hitting it, bounced on a piece of foam core, create depth with that and foreground things. And so it was all like you just make it up. I mean, just make up what you know, whatever some weird thing is. And there is um, uh, not necessarily science involved in it. So the, the producer at the end of the thing, although people liked it, uh, said, so I guess the edge of the, edge of the universe is some blue shit. It's like, yeah, pretty much it's some blue shit. <laughs> blue shit that I shot in my basement, by the way. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> and I kept on budget, too. Uh, but it was it, and in the wormhole, although we applied some science, I mean, who knows if the science is correct? So in essence, it's made up. Uh, and has to be visualized. If it's a black hole, how do you shoot a black hole? Right. Black. 
So um, there's the absence of light. So, you know, so we, you know, we, we just kept on doing it until you go, yeah, that looks like, that looks like I, something I believe. No, it was really well done. And you don't have, you didn't have the effects that you do now. No, so, uh, it was really, diff- you know, the, back then it was, it was before there was even really, as we know, a computer graphics, you know, as yeah. The, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, in fact, when I started on features, uh, CG was, in its infancy, it was. Uh, I mean, there there was um, uh, uh, Jurassic Park was probably the one that had the most uh, startling use of of it. Oh, but yeah. at Apollo thirteen, a digital domain, we were not up to speed on any of that stuff. And there's only a couple of shots that were CG created, essentially, um, uh, but not totally, just elements. Uh, and even that was a difficult thing to pull off. And Titanic, uh, uh, even even then, even though that was an advancement, it was still very crude compared to what it is now. Now it's now you can do it on your laptop. You know, it's I crazy. Something that's photorealistic and unreal. And you know, uh, 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 render it in 4K, and it could go into a movie, and no one would ever know. So I'll tell you, for Apollo 13, that take the Saturn V rocket taking off, and then you had the elements of the actors and the music, and the effects were spot on, right down to the ice coming off. Mm-hmm. The because you know, it, it's cold, the fuel is cold, so it's it's so beautifully done and and so moving. Just that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I, it's such right. an amazing scene. It was one of mine because it's one of the first times that you can kind of uh, put the way you feel about something into, a, you know, a, a piece of film. And I'm not a big storyboard guy. And they had some storyboards. It's like, I can't do that. So what I did, and and I think it worked, uh, um, was that I, it was a very awe-inspiring moment. And so what I did is I I, I got as many images as I could find. I, I, I like to edit. So I would put together something with a, a bed of heroic music that kind of makes you feel like the swell of something. And I literally scored it in advance and every day I would listen to it when I would go design a shot. That's why I didn't want to do any storyboard design a shot that does something about the way the camera moves, what it's seeing all the stuff. We used a very crude stuff. The ice was, was wax that was (laughs) broken off and, you know, all that stuff. So, and fire extinguishers for the exhaust. And, you know, so it was, it was that level, (laughs) but the shot design and just really the edit, the edit of it was, was what made it. And, um, and to everybody's credit, I, I, I cut my own scene together and Ron Howard and um, Mike Hill and Dan Hanley just used it intact, just the way I did it. And then Jamie Horner found the music bed that I designed it to and cut it to. And so when that addition was added and then they, they cut in the uh, live action bits in between the, 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 the chunks of stuff that I was doing, it kind of transmuted the feeling that you had when you shot it into a scene that requires some emotion. You, you, it's hard to look at it and not have some degree of emotion. And the motion I want, I wanted to get away from the most was that you didn't believe it, that it was phony. So, but if you kind of, kind of twist that a little bit where the suspension of disbelief is strong enough, you then all of a sudden I discovered and so part of my career too is discovering that you could create emotion by the way something is choreographed, photographed, uh, and it it kind of transmutes. If you feel it when you shoot it, the audience will feel it when they see it. If you feel nothing, you will get nothing. 
So if you just say, oh, I'm just going to come up with a shot. That's why a story, I'm not a big storyboard person because somebody goes, look, here's a shot of a rocket. Great. It's like <laughs> it has no feeling to it. And right. so to copy, uh, you know, shot after shot, the things that have no energy behind them, you end up with, you know, basically a living storyboard, but not a living scene. And so that that was my my point of view. And then I used it to uh, to effect on Titanic, too, where if you feel something, if you if you tap into what the audience is thinking when they're looking at it and lead them in the direction that they are already thinking, then you have something that's quite successful and, and people re remember it. It becomes emotional, even though it's made out of the you know like apollo you get some emotion out of it but it's a it's a tin can with you know some some painted stripes and stuff on it so it's not anything except the way you shoot it and the way somebody receives the information then it's something that trans that transcends what it is so i wow. found that very interesting conceptually as a as a, a a filmmaker is that you have to tap into that more than you have to tap into some of the other techniques and various other things that people get excited about so is the audience going to have an emotional reaction to the yeah. scene, obviously. And if you connect that, that's great. Talk about Apollo forever. But uh, the, <laughs> the thing that I, I liked doing, which also was part of the emotion, is um, uh, what you remember and the way you remembered it colors what you saw. It's yes. not verbatim. It's not, you know, if you like somebody, you you describe them more favorably. If you hate somebody, you, the same person, you describe them, you know, uh, poorly. And uh, one of the tests I did, it wasn't really to get this conclusion, although the conclusion was gotten, was um, let me play all of the stock footage that we've all seen and tell me which ones are the most impressive to you. And then people would describe them back to me differently, different time of day, uh, um, uh, a, a different shot, a different, uh, um, uh, somewhere in fast motion, somewhere in slow motion. Some had camera moves on them. It's like none of them had camera moves on them, you know, except for tilting up with the rock. I mean, none of them did. And because they're all bolted off to look at, you know, as the bolts explode and the gantry arms, they're, they're there to study, not to, not to, uh, uh, entertain. And I was like, wow. So your emotion, when you saw it, made you see what you wanted to see. And so I tapped into that. So it's like, you wow. know, what? I'm not going to do a stock, the stock shot. I'm going to, it will be inspired by it. Um, and then the other thing I did, it was, I'm going to shoot it all with short lenses. So even though the shot looks familiar, you're seeing it differently. You're seeing it more intimate than the long lens stuff that we're used to seeing, which has a different emotional response to it. So it's like, we're going to now see the launch kind of, you know, a bird's eye view close up to the event that's happening, not, you know, from, you know, a mile away with a long lens. So, and it changes the way you view it. All of a sudden you're seeing something fresh that's familiar and familiar enough to believe it, but it's still a different way of looking at it. So I, I you know, I, I, I had a ball doing, doing the, the uh, sort of the emotional uh, way of doing things as opposed to the technical way of doing things, which is, you know, belies some of our, our you know, our, our, our work as people like, well, we storyboard and you agree on that and you budget it. And now you shoot exactly that. Cause that's what the client wanted. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to do any of that. Yeah. I don't blame you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, you know, in Titanic, it's, it, it's a ship that obviously is no longer in the same condition that it was for the movie. And to make that, you know, speaking of emotion, the sinking was just, that wrenching. And, and I saw it on a pretty big screen. So it was, it really hit, but that was so well accomplished. And then you cut in with them 
working with the water and all that. And uh, Kate Winslet said, yes, the water was cold. (laughs) So, but well, I mean, mean, there's a lot of emotion. Uh, I mean, we uh, the no matter who you are, the Titanic does something to you. It's a mystery ship. It's a ghost ship. It's haunting. It's uh, a promise of things that could be that never were. It's a, yeah. you know it's a, a tragedy that is, you know, it's like some brilliant artist's life cut short by a, a freak accident. It's kind of the way we we view this, you know, mighty thing that never could be taken down. Got taken down on the, literally the first voyage. I mean, it was just so something yeah. about it just stands the test of time. And so you have again, if you tap into the emotion that you have by seeing the footage and you put it back into the film, people respond to it. And I think that that's what Jim tapped into. That's what I tapped into. Um, you know, cause I, it's almost impossible to look at the wreck of the ship and not feel something yeah. uh, ghost-like. And um, I, I remember um, I, um, I showed the Paramount executives they were now going to come in and start and 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 split the cost of the movie because it was getting too uh, out of hand uh, financially, and um, I, it was one of my prouder moments in uh, you know doing visual effects is that I could match Jim's under real underwater footage of yes. the Titanic very well where you couldn't necessarily. And certainly a layman couldn't tell the difference between what I shot and what he shot. And what I shot was, you know, basically in a garage, the ship hanging upside down by chains and smoke with little tiny mirror subs on dollies to create the movement. So as completely phony as it can possibly be, you know, 18 foot of a ship compared to the real Titanic. And because you believed and knew that he was really there, you had the same emotional response to my shot, shot upside down in a garage in smoke, you know, um, uh, uh, as you did from the real thing. So that was a very powerful thing that if you do the job well enough and suspend this belief well enough, it transcends whatever you did to create it. And, um, and, and you know, I, m- many of the shots in the movie that I liked the most were very emotionally uh, 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 created like the uh, um, the transitions between the wreck and the and the uh, the ship and the other way around yeah. is you 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 if you see the wreck you kind of imagine seeing people on the deck of the ship and when you start to imagine people on the deck of the ship you start to imagine the ship not looking that way anymore so your your brain wants to go there and we just did that did what your brain wanted to wanted to see. And so you're sort of in on the fact. And, and you know, then we use the, you know, kind of um, misdirection. If you're staring at the middle and you see a person, you could start changing the sides of the frame before anybody would notice it. And then when it's so changed to the point where you now divert your eye and look there, then you change the middle. And so it's one of those things. And I did a thing every day in dailies. It's like, Tell me where, when, when you notice the thing and I get it down to like the frame of, oh, by this frame, we've now seen or felt the change. Now, now it's when I'm going to start the transition of the foreground and becomes, you know, semi seamless in that you're taking advantage of what the audience is feeling or seeing or paying attention to at any one time to make something look like it just magically before my eyes became, you know, the, the, either the wreck or the, uh, or the ship in all its glory. So it was a very interesting, you know, that's part of the job. It's not just mechanically. Did you shoot a miniature under motion control with a, you know, whatever it's, it's, you know, what are you shooting? Why are you shooting it? 
how are you blocking out the shot? You know, all those, all those things mean a lot. I mean, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, my first reaction was just really, wow. It was a very heartfelt, wow. I, it, it struck a chord. And, you know, we talked about also from Apollo 13 and, and now emancipation, that kind of uh, filmmaking, um, it's so easy to just get super technical. So I really credit you for putting feeling into it. And I, and I guess it reminds me of, uh, of Ray, Ray Harryhausen's uh, stop motion, yet somehow there was actually feeling in those creatures because he embodied them into it. So he kind of yeah. worked from that same kind of concept. And it's just, uh, it just makes the cinematic experience much more. That's yeah. why those movies... Are so important. The egg wears thin very quickly, so it has to have content to it. And yeah. uh, people get uh, um, kind of sidetracked by uh, the process of doing it. You know, you look, I made the miniature look real. It's like, yeah, that's fine. But what is it? What is the lighting of it? What's the camera move? What's the tone of it? Why is it cut in the movie that way? That means more than overcoming the gag of, yes, I was able to shoot something that looked, uh, you know, somewhat photo, uh, photo real. It has to work on a different level. It can't just work on the on the on the, the process level. It has to work beyond that because that's all we you know as filmmakers. That's all we have is the same tools. But what makes Martin Scorsese different than Francis Coppola, than Steven Spielberg, than John Ford and Howard Hawks, and and uh, you know all the rest is is the is the feeling they put into the same equipment, the same camera, the same film. Even this, some of the same actors, the same art directors, the same everything. It's this other intangible that makes you you know riveted to the screen you know yeah well hey it's been a great pleasure to talk to you you're an artist and i've admired your work a while now and um you know we talked about some of those amazing films you've worked on there's so many more you know we, we it would take hours to discuss all the films you worked on but we touched on just really some of the highlights emancipation it's on apple tv plus i urge everyone to see it and really just, I mean, Will just killed it. You know, it, a great performance. And um, and actually, on the other side, an actor who I admired, and he does not play a sympathetic character, Ben Foster, was amazing as well. He's terrific. Oh, I mean, both of them on opposite ends, such a, a great dynamic they had together. But that's worth seeing. And uh, it's it's a dark period of our history, but not to ignore but to acknowledge and to but move forward. It is forward. our history. It is our history. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And you've made your own kind of history as well. So great pleasure to talk to you and best yeah, of luck. It was very nice. Very, very nice to speak to you. And happy new year. And happy new year. <laughs> look for emancipation on Apple TV plus and Star Trek, the next generation and Star Trek deep space nine on Paramount plus. And I know for a fact that Titanic is streaming everywhere. This is Tony Tolado.